You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. When I was in seminary, I was assigned a book called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Uh, If you have not read that book, you might put that on your 2023 reading list. I think it would be uh, super helpful for you. So I was assigned that book to read, and I remember coming across this sentence a couple of decades ago. Knowing God is a relationship calculated to thrill a person's heart. That's an amazing statement for me. I've never been able to forget that one sentence. Knowing God is a relationship calculated to thrill a person's heart. That, That just helps us sort of see that your heart has been designed by God to be dazzled by God. That's the way you have been made by God. Knowing God is a relationship calculated to thrill a person's heart. Or as Jesus says in Matthew 13, uh, when he's trying to give a a picture of what it looks like to relate to God, what the kingdom of God is like, he he says this, it's like a, a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and then covered up. And then in his joy, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has so that he can buy the field. That is what God is like to his people, a treasure that is so great that we would give anything to get it. Your heart has been designed by God to be dazzled by God. Knowing God is a relationship calculated to thrill a person's heart. This is why when people ask us, okay, what do y'all do around there at Stonegate? What's happening around there? What do y'all do? Here's the first thing we always say. Uh, Here is what we do. We enjoy Jesus together. Uh, We say that because we know our hearts have been designed by God to be dazzled by God, that knowing God really is a relationship calculated to thrill a person's heart. Stonegate, Jesus lived, he died, he walked out of the grave to bring us to God. And the psalmist reminds us in Psalm 16 that it's there in the presence of God that we will find fullness of joy that we will find a relationship calculated to thrill our hearts. And that's really what we've given January to explore, is what does it look like for us to enjoy God? So two weeks ago, we considered Martha and Mary, and the point was simple that week. Uh, We just were trying to, to raise up and sort of lift up this truth, that if we want to enjoy Jesus, we must be present with Jesus, like all of us there present with Jesus. And this launched us into silent January, uh, just trying to fight against distraction. We're fasting from some things like social media in January. We're feasting on the word. We're, we're focusing on Jesus through silence and solitude. So that was week one. Then last week, Jimmy did such a good job of uh, working on the, the theme of prayer. And the point was simple last week. To enjoy Jesus, we must meet with Jesus in prayer pouring out our heart to God in prayer, listening to Jesus in prayer. And now today, the point is simple as well. It's really a simple sort of exploration of what does it look like to enjoy Jesus? And the thing I'm trying to tell you today is to enjoy Jesus, we must meet with Jesus over his word. That's the really simple summation today. If we are going to enjoy Jesus, we have to meet with Jesus over his word. Now that takes us to Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is gonna be coming at us in three parts. 
three parts. And, and by the way, we're looking at verses 7 through 11 there. You just heard that read. It's coming at us in three parts. Here's the first thing I, I want you to notice out of Psalm 19. The first thing to see is that God has spoken words. That God has spoken words. When you hold your Bible, I, I just want us to have fresh amazement today. When you hold your Bible, you are holding God's words. Like This is God's record to you. This is the Bible. God has spoken words. Those words are recorded and they're put in a book that we call the Bible. 66 books. 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, roughly 40 human authors, three languages over the span of roughly 1,500 years. That's your Bible, a record of God's word. God has spoken words. Now you see this in Psalm 19 with this six-fold repetition. And you might can find it in these verses. You see it six times. Let me just point it out to you. Verse seven, the law, and then you get this little phrase, of the Lord. And then you keep reading. The testimony, same little phrase, of the Lord. Then you get to verse eight. The precepts of the Lord. The commandment of the Lord. The fear in verse nine of the Lord. The rules of the Lord of the Lord, right? This is the psalmist's way of sort of acclimating us to God has spoken words. What you hold in your hand when you hold the Bible is not primarily the, the words of men. What you hold in your hands is the words of God. This is God's record that he has given to you. Or, or as Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. It is God animating and writing. It's the record of God's word. Or as Peter says in 2 Peter 1, verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men. It wasn't just a man writing some words somewhere. That's not how the Bible was produced. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So yes, God used human authors like Paul and like Peter, but behind the person was God, breathing out, writing the scriptures. The Bible, church, is the record of God's words. Uh, this is why Thomas Watson, an old Puritan pastor, encouraged his congregation like this. He said, think in every line you read. Okay, so you're opening up the Bible and you're reading. It says, think in every line you read that God is speaking to you. And then he finishes, for in truth, he is. That's amazing to think about. If, if you want God to speak to you today, it is as simple as this. You opening up the scriptures and reading. Th that is the record of God's words to you. God in the scriptures is speaking. It is the record of God's words. And I, I'm just praying that we might be freshly amazed with the gift of the Bible. It is one of God's most precious gifts to his people. He has collected his words. He's put it in a book for us, for us to read. God has spoken words. Now, here's the second thing I want you to see from Psalm 19. First, God has spoken words. Second is God's word works. Like it has an effect. It, it does things in our life. So my number one hope today is not just that you would see what the Bible is, that it is the record of God's words that he has spoken to his people. 
But even more than that, I want you to let God's word do its work. I want you to feel that deep down in your bones, that God's word has things it wants to do in you and for you. And this psalm shows us what God's word does, how it works, when it works, what it's producing in our lives. And, and you see the first one in verse 7, that God's word gives life. Look at verse 7. I, I love verse 7. It's one of these verses that we should all memorize. The law of the Lord is perfect, doing what? reviving the soul. Let me just say that one more time. And, and think about the effects of that. The, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, giving life to the soul, reviving the soul. God's word gives life. Now, I love how the, the scriptures in multiple places affirm that very truth, that the, the scriptures, through the scripture, God gives life, grants life, brings about life. Uh, Peter talks about it like this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Peter says, since you have been born again, that is brought to life in Jesus, made new by Jesus, new creation. You went from dead to alive. Since you have been born again. Now he, he shows us how that happens. How are we born again? How did we go from death to life? Since you have been born again through the living and abiding word of God. God's word gives life because it's alive. It's alive. And the spirit of God takes the living word and then through it breathes life into our hearts. Uh, so Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, that faith, now think about that, faith, saving faith, that ongoing faith in our life, that faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, faith comes by hearing the word. That's Romans 10, 13. Paul is affirming that very same thing. They're both, you put them together, saying that the same word that brought about that, that sort of saving faith, life, is the same word that continues to breathe life into a follower of Jesus' soul. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Um, I'm going to go out on a really sturdy limb and assume this today that no one came into this room too revived. You know, I'm just too full of life today. I really need to tamp down how much life, I, I, I just, I don't think any of us came in that way. I think all of us came in saying, God, I would like more life today. God, I, I need more reviving today in my soul. I need more of that, oh God. And this Psalm shows us the way to that. The law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul. But when I'm sitting with a person who is struggling, they're just struggling to believe. Uh, doubt is just rampant in, in their life. They're just sort of languishing spiritually. They're lacking spiritual vitality and vibrancy in their life. At some point in that conversation, I'll get around to asking this question. Are you lingering long in the scriptures and, and there in the scriptures meeting Jesus? Is that happening in your life? And it's not every time. So there are moments where the Lord walks us into to hard seasons like this. But almost every time, what I will hear in response is, I'm not. I'm not lingering in the scriptures. And friend, I just want to say this as gently as I can to you today that you should not expect spiritual vibrancy, spiritual life 
if you're not lingering long in God's life-giving word. A spiritual mentor of mine said this one time. He said, the reason I read the Bible is because I am stone cold dead without Christ and his word. Yes, that, that is what this psalm is getting at. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, warming that cold heart, thawing that frozen heart. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. So this gives us a chance to begin to ask this morning, are we lingering long in the word? Are we meeting Jesus there over the word? If we're going to enjoy Jesus, this is where that enjoyment's gonna happen, there in the word with him. God's word gives life, but it's not the only thing in this text that God's word gives. Uh, if you read the back half of verse seven, we, we learn that God's word also gives wisdom. Yes, it gives life and it gives wisdom. Look again at verse seven. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Then it goes on. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It's, it's firm, making wise the simple. I love that phrase. Here's what it's doing in our life. Here's what the word of God produces. It makes wise the simple. It gives wisdom. God's word makes foolish people wise. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at that, I'm like, that feels like good news for me. And here's why it feels like good news for all of us is because we're all idiots. That, that's why. We all are. If you were to follow me around over the last two weeks, you were just in my pocket, you were, you were with me in every moment of my life over the last two weeks, you would know he's an idiot. And if I were to follow you around over the last two weeks, just watching every decision you make, everything you do with your time, how you're spending your moments, if I were to just watch every moment of your life, you know what I would find out about you? You're an idiot. So we all have that in common, right? Now here's what that makes us all in need of wisdom. You need that. I need wisdom. We all need wisdom. What is wisdom? It's the art of living in this broken world. Wisdom is learning how God has made the world to work, then living in that world with skill. That's wisdom. And again, I, I'm just going to go out on a really sturdy limb and assume that nobody came in here today and was like, you know what, I am today too wise. I mean, I really need to get rid of some of this wisdom because I just got too much of this. Nobody came in here like that today. Why? Because life is complex. Every day confronts us with hundreds of decisions. Every week, all sorts of decisions that, that actually matter in our life. And those decisions mean we need wisdom. And if you want wisdom, Psalm 19 shows the way. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Then it goes on. Look at the second half of verse 8. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So maybe we could reframe what it looks like for us to be idiots. Here's another way of thinking about our idiocracy. Imagine yourself in a dark house. And I mean, it's so dark that when your hand is like an inch in front of you, you can't see your hand. It, it's that dark. This is what it means for us to be foolish or simple, which we all are. But we're in that dark house, 
and, and we cannot see anything around us. And we're trying to find the way out. We're trying to find the door in this uh, dark house. And um, we're stumbling around in the house. We're tripping over everything in the house. We're, we're breaking all of these valuable and precious things in the house because we can't even see them to know that they're precious. Th th that's us in our idiocracy. And then the command of the Lord shines light into the room. That's God doing, God's words doing its work of producing wisdom. It lights the house for us to see. Oh, that's valuable. That's beautiful. I shouldn't break that. I should go around that. Oh, here, here is something I shouldn't do over here. That, that's dangerous. So, so it warns me not to do that. And then it shows me, oh, there's where the reward is over there. You start living like this and life has a way of going with the grain of how God has made the world, not against it. That's the wisdom that God's word imparts to people. It gives wisdom. So again, we're back to that question. Are we on a consistent, uh, think of it as habitual. Are we habitually encountering Jesus over his word? Allowing it to produce wisdom in us, to shine light down into our life, to help us see what needs to be seen on any given day and week and month of our life. Just look back over the last week or two, or maybe a couple of months of your life, and ask yourself the question, is this, is this a routine, a habit that's in my life where I'm opening up the scriptures and I'm reading the Bible myself? I'm lingering long over the scriptures to meet Jesus there. God's word gives life. It gives wisdom. And this text shows us one more thing it does. It shows us that God's word gives joy. Look at verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Rejoicing the heart. Making the heart glad. Again, assumption. I just don't think many of us came in here today thinking, I have just got too much joy in my life. I'm too happy. How do I become more miserable? How can I become more grumpy? How could I grow in my discontentment in life? None of us came in here thinking like that. We all came in here asking the Lord, God, would you make my heart glad? God, would you produce more joy in me? God, would you refresh my heart in these sorts of joy-producing ways? God, would you do that? And if that's you, if you came in asking that question, asking the Lord to do that, then Psalm 19 is just reminding you, well, just let God's word do its work. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Now, why does God's word give joy? Here's the simplest way I would respond to that. The Bible is a joy-producing book because it is a Jesus-presenting book. This is why it produces joy. It's a joy-producing book because it's a Jesus-presenting book. I love how uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones in the Jesus Storybook Bible, which I would commend, if you've got uh, little kiddos in your house, you should totally get that Bible, and you should read that each night. And even if you have grown kids, uh, and maybe you're an empty nest, it would be a great devotional thing to do with your spouse even in your house, or for you to do uh, you know, by yourself before you go to bed at night. It just is such a helpful little storybook Bible. And in uh, that storybook Bible, uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones rightly says, there are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. 
the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. That's what the whole Bible is about. And then the subtitle of her book, uh, that little devotional says this, every story whispers his name. The Bible is about Jesus. The Old Testament looks forward to Jesus. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they show us Jesus. The rest of the New Testament looks back to Jesus so we can see him clearly, his person and his work. And then it points us forward to the second coming of Jesus. The Bible is all about Jesus. And because it, it presents Jesus, it produces joy. That's an amazing just reality of God's word. It produces joy because it presents Jesus. Uh, Maybe we could think about it this way. The scriptures are a means, not an end. And that's a really important distinction for us. Uh, If you want it maybe in a picture, uh, think of the scriptures as a window to look through, not a wall to look at. Uh, Because there is a temptation in human beings to take the the Bible, to take the scriptures, and and to make it a wall where all I'm doing is just looking at the wall, at at scripture. Uh, When scripture was meant to be seen through that that window, we look through the scriptures and and see the person of Jesus. And and I want to clarify that because it is possible to love the Bible and yet look past Jesus. That that is possible. This is the Pharisees in Jesus' day. So he confronts them in John 5 and says this, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And he's saying, no, the scriptures alone do not save you. It's the scriptures pointing to me. He he goes on to say, and it is they that bear witness about me, right? They are the window to look through to see to me. And then he, he... corrects them. He says, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Life is found in Jesus and Jesus is going to be found in the scriptures. So when you open the Bible, the goal of your Bible reading is not Bible knowledge. That is not the main goal that you have is just to learn more of the Bible. The goal is Jesus enjoyment because it's It's in finding and enjoying Jesus there in the scriptures that our hearts become satisfied. That the hook of temptation is sort of dislodged in our heart. That that we're reminded of what matters most, how to make our life count. So, So God has spoken and God's word works and you put those together and, and, and it works by producing life, by giving wisdom by producing joy, giving joy. You put all that together, and now this this little line by J.I. Packer begins to make sense when he says, if I were the devil, one of my first aims would be to stop folks from digging into the Bible. That allows us to just take a deep breath and to recognize we are all in a war. Belief in Jesus Dying, believing in Jesus, persevering with Jesus. It is an all-out war to to die one day still holding on to Jesus, right? Loving Jesus. Your your heart being just consumed by it. You're in an all-out war for that. I'm in an all-out war for that. We have a real enemy that would love to do everything possible to derail our faith in the Lord. To lure our hearts away from him. That's an everyday battle. 
And J.I. Packer, I think, is right to say and to warn us, if I were the devil, one of my first aims, one of the first things I would do in light of the Bible producing life, giving wisdom, giving joy, one of the first things I would do, my first aims would be to stop folks from digging into the scriptures. So maybe you could just ask yourself that question is, is Satan winning in that battle? If this is one of his first aims, has he accomplished that first aim in me? Or am I lingering long there in the scriptures meeting Jesus? Is that true? Is that evident in my life? The last week, the last two weeks, the last month, the last year, do I see a consistent rhythm of opening up the scriptures and lingering there to meet Jesus? So God has spoken words. God's word works. So, and here's the third thing I want you to see in this psalm. In light of those two things being true, here is what this psalm is pressing us to do, to give yourself to God's word. To give yourself to God's word. To enjoy Jesus by opening up the scriptures consistently and meeting Jesus right there. To give yourself to God's word. This is why the psalmist says, okay, if you have a bar of gold, just imagine I have a bar of gold right there on the stage. And beside that bar of gold, I've got the Bible right there. And you can only have one of them, bar of gold or Bible. The psalmist is saying to us, here's how badly I want you to give your life to the Bible. Take the Bible, not the bar of gold. And then he sort of ups the illustration. He says, okay, now imagine there were 30 bars of gold right here on the stage. 30. Like your, your life is, it's set forever. You've got like generational stuff happening right there in all that gold. And then there's the Bible. The psalmist is saying, no, no, no. This Bible is worth not just gold, but much fine gold. This is how desirable and great the Bible is. This is how important it is to your life. So give your life to the Bible. It uses that illustration. It's sweeter than honey. This is, this is how a follower of Jesus is meant to, to long for and enjoy Jesus in his word. Give yourself to God's word. Then the question becomes, how do we do that? How do we give ourselves to God's word? I just want to end with a very simple illustration to just help us sort of have handlebars on the how. What would it look like in your life and mine to give ourselves to God's word? This word that, that works, that gives life, gives wisdom, gives joy. How do we give ourselves to God's word? So uh, the navigators uh, were... They have been such a great sort of blessing to the church and helping the church be good disciple makers. And uh, the navigators produced this hand illustration. I just want to walk through this hand illustration. It's, it's the imagery of how do you grab the word, right? Like how, how do you hold on to the word? How, how do you do that? How, how do we receive the word from Jesus? And just picture, we're just going to go up sort of the fingers in the hand. So it starts with hearing the word. That's your pinky finger, hearing the word. We all need to consistently position ourselves under good, Jesus-pointing, gospel-soaked preaching. You need that. I need that. It's why every time I don't preach, I'm sitting right up here under God's word. Because we all need to be sitting under preaching. This is, by the way, one reason you should make Sundays a priority in your life and in your family's life. I just want to say it to you honestly. Other things are not more important than this thing. That you 
consistently positioning your family to hear the scriptures taught. We all need, desperately need, to sit with God's people under God's word as it is preached to and applied to our hearts. Like, like your family needs your next meal, you, you need this even more. It is that important in, in every one of our lives. Uh, what's happening in here in a moment like this is often imperceptible. And because it's often imperceptible is the reason that uh, uh, other things kind of can crowd it out and become more important. But if you look over the longevity of your life, what God will do right here with God's people under his word as you're hearing the, the Bible taught will change your life, the course of your life. It is one of God's primary means of grace for you to, to be with God's people hearing his word taught. So we hear it. That's the pinky. Then we get to the ring finger. We read it. We read it. There's no substitute for opening up the scriptures and reading it. This is one of those fundamentals of the faith. One of those sort of basic core level habits that are needed in our life to sustain a consistent walk with the Lord. It's opening up the scriptures and reading the Bible for yourself. You finding Jesus right there in and over his word. There's just nothing to replace that. If we're talking basketball, it's dribbling. It's just one of those fundamentals that, that have to be there to sustain a walk with God. And you know, no one, no one drifts into more Bible reading. We will always drift away from more Bible reading. So you need to make a plan for your Bible reading. I, I would just suggest to you that you grab the Stonegate Bible reading plan. You can grab it online or out in the resource store, but you should have a plan. And that plan is a great plan. A lot of our church family will be on it this year, so it's a really wonderful thing to do. If that's not your, your thing, then find a different plan. But I, I'm just saying you should have a plan. If you have a plan, you will read more of the Bible in 2023 than if you don't have a plan. So grab a plan and read the scriptures. Thirdly, now we're to the middle finger. Thirdly, hear it, we read it, and then we study it. Study it. If reading takes in the breadth of scriptures, sort of the, the whole width of the scriptures, studying drills down into the depths of the scriptures. That, that's what study is meant to do, to drill down into the Bible. So, you know, when you think about reading, uh, reading might take us through a few chapters a day. Uh, while studying, we might slow down and linger over one paragraph, uh, one sentence, one word in the Bible. I love how David Mathis in his book on spiritual disciplines talks about it. He says, uh, Bible reading is like uh, watching a film in real time. So it's just, it's playing there before us. That, that's reading the Bible. And then he says, studying the Bible is like slowing the film down and going frame by frame. Right? So if you think about um, watching a football game, uh, reading is just we're enjoying it as it's happening. Studying is, oh, I'm going to stop it. I'm going to pause it. I'm going to rewind that play. And I'm going to look at what every person's doing in that play. That's studying the Bible. He goes on to say, uh, Bible reading is more like raking leaves across the whole yard of the Bible. Study is more like taking a shovel, settling over one spot in the yard of the Bible and digging for diamonds. And friend, you need both of those. I need both of those. I, I need moments where I'm raking the leaves across the whole yard of the Bible. And I also need moments where the shovel's out and we are, we are studying, we are digging down into the scriptures to find the diamonds. Diamonds typically don't live there where the leaves are, right? 
You're going to need a shovel to find the, those gems in the Bible. So here would be my suggestion to you on study. is just to pick one book a year. Pick one book a year. Um, I think it probably would be wisest to pick the book that we're going through in that particular year. We typically are just preaching through books of the Bible here. So in February, we are about to start 1 Corinthians, and we're just going to kind of work through that book together. So that would be a great maybe book for you to pick in 2023 to study, uh, 1 Corinthians. So find a book a year and study it. Here is the fourth one. Now we're to the pointer finger, is to memorize Scripture, to memorize it. Memorizing takes small parts of the Bible, and as Psalm 119.11 encourages us, we get to hide those parts of the Bible in our heart. Uh, when I think of Scripture memory, I often think of, um, you know, it is hiding that Scripture in our heart. And then it gives the Holy Spirit that lives in us a vocabulary from which He can speak to us. He, he is now speaking God's words back into our life that we have memorized. There is nothing like Scripture memory that begins to conform our reflexes, our, our mind, our heart into the shape of Jesus, his scripture memory. Here's just a simple encouragement on scripture memory is to download the Fighter Verse app. Uh, that's the same plan that we use here. So if you grab a Bible reading plan, you'll see the scripture memory stuff on the bottom of that plan. So it's all kind of coordinated with that Fighter Verse app. And the Fighter Verse app just has all sorts of really helpful little small tools built into it to help you memorize uh, parts of the Bible. So we memorize it. And then we're to number five. Now think about the first four as your fingers. And it's kind of hard to hold the Bible. I mean, you could hold it with just your fingers, but it's kind of hard, right? So, so your thumb really becomes the, the, the important piece of how do you grip the Bible? How do we receive the Bible? And that thumb is meditation. We meditate on it. When we say meditate, what, what we mean is that we pause, that we ponder the Bible, the text, what we've memorized, what we've heard, and then we pray it. Pause, ponder, and pray. That, that's what we mean by meditation. So think about this sermon as a for instance. It does not matter how good this sermon is if you don't take time to meditate on the sermon. Pause, ponder what the Lord has been saying to you, and to pray that. Uh, it doesn't matter how rich the text is you've just been reading in the Bible when you break it open and read. If you don't take time to meditate on it, to pause, to ponder, to chew on it for a minute, and to pray that text. Right? So, so meditation becomes the thumb by which we can hold all, all of the Bible as we hear it, as we read it, as we study it, and as we memorize it. If you want God's work to do its work in you, then meditate on it. It is one of those central disciplines. Okay, so let me finish by encouraging both the, maybe you're a beginner in your walk with the Lord in here. So maybe you've just been walking with the Lord for a few short months, or maybe you are the grizzled veteran in the room. I mean, you, you've been walking with the Lord for years and years and years. I wanna finish by allowing George Mueller, he's one of my favorite guys in church history. I wanna finish by allowing him to encourage us this morning. George Mueller, listen to what he has to tell us. He says, we have, and this is, this is really meant for the beginning of a year, just like what we're in right now, J January. Here comes 2023 is laid out before us. He says, we have through the goodness of the Lord been permitted to enter upon another year. And the minds of many among us will no doubt be occupied with plans for the future and of our work and service for the Lord. 
If our lives are spared, we shall be engaged in these, the welfare of our families, the prosperity of our business, and our work and service for Christ may actually be considered the most important matters to attend to. But according to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this. And hear this from an, from an old faithful saint. Above all things, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. I especially commend this point to the notice of my younger brothers and sisters in Christ. The secret of all true service is joy in God. Then he asks the important question, but in what way shall we attain to this settled happiness of soul? Or how shall we learn to enjoy God? How are we going to do that? If that's the most important things for our soul to be happy in Jesus, how does that go down? Here's his answer. He says, I answer this. This happiness is to be obtained through the study of the Holy Scriptures. So church, may we, may we not forsake the feast that is the Word of God. May we not forsake it. May we keep our hearts happy in Jesus this year by delighting in Jesus over his word. Would you pray with me? I want to give you just a moment to allow the spirit of God to speak to you, to press down those things that would be most helpful, to wipe away the things that wouldn't be helpful. Is this a regular rhythm, routine in your life? Opening up the scriptures, reading it, studying it, memorizing it. Are Sunday mornings a priority in your family? Maybe that's the step the Lord's wanting you to take today. Are you taking time to meditate on the Word? You know, we often think, in a moment like this, I'm just going to overhaul everything in my life. But that's most often not the way that change works in your life or mine. It's just finding those one or two or three small steps that we can take that the Lord would want us to take today that will actually produce change in us. And for some, that decisive step that the Lord wants us to take today is not uh, toward the Bible, but toward the word, Jesus. And so if that's you, you can call out to him today. He would love to come in and rescue and redeem you today. That Jesus lived, he died, he rose from the dead to bring you into a relationship with him. So you can hold up your life and just the best way you know how, cry out to God, here is my life, I am trusting in Jesus. So Father, would you would you show us what the step is today? What it is that you would want for us and from us? And it's in the beautiful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.